podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about the Mitchells versus the Machine, and joining me, he co- always comes prepared to the podcast, so he has his number three Robertson head non-slip screwdriver with him. It's Joe Morgan. <laughs> How you doing, Josh? Good. The The Mitchells versus the Machine is the newest movie from uh, Netflix, newest animated movie from Netflix that uh, is written and directed by Mike Rianda and produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who have their fair share of success working in animation, having uh, work either produced or written slash directed movies like the Lego movies, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, that movie that uh, everyone liked in these parts called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse a few years ago. Uh, the Mitchells versus the Machine tells the story of soon-to-be college student Katie Mitchell, who is voiced by Abby Jacobson. Her parents, Rick and Linda, are voiced by Danny McBride and Maya Rudolph. Uh, she also has a younger brother, Aaron, who is voiced by Rhonda himself, who just really loves dinosaurs because that's a you're, that's a lot to be your personality when you're 12, I guess. Uh, I thought he was a little old for that, personally. Uh, Katie is an aspiring filmmaker who and is excited to you know break free from home and go to film school and get to know a new group of friends. She's especially excited to do so because her relationship with her dad has been strained, like often happens with teenagers. In a last effort to bond with his daughter before she leaves, Rick cancels her flight to college, plans a family road trip because that's just obviously going to go over really great with your daughter that doesn't want to spend time with you uh the road trip is up and down until it is very much down when they get they get blindsided as a bunch of ai robots created by a tech mogul uh named mark bowman voiced by eric andre takes over the world at the behest of bowman's old bitter scorned cell phone voiced by oscar winner olivia coleman uh, the family now must have to must figure out how to stop these robots and uh, save the world. Uh, Joe, I, I, it's inter- I, I, Joe brought this movie to my attention a couple weeks ago. I'd somehow missed it, even though I'm a very big fan of Lord and Miller and most things that they do. Uh, and so I really didn't know what it was going into. And I guess I could kind of gather it involves some robots, but I literally knew nothing going in. And Joe, the thing that was to me, I, and I'll say right now, I did like the movie, uh, though I'll have some criticisms that I'll talk about. Uh, it felt very, very familiar for like the first like 20 minutes. One thing I do think is interesting, even if you think of like Pixar movies or most other animated movies that, you know, just you think of the last 20 years. I don't know if there are that many that actually focus on a, a kid at, right at that age, you know. Uh, you know, in like Toy Story 3, Andy's going off to college, but it's not about him. Uh, and in uh, like Inside Out, that's like a, a younger teenager or something, you know. So I think there, it, it, it's it's new territory in that way, but it's still it's just kind of like a family drama. Which even if you're just comparing it to other movies, not even necessarily animated movies, like a lot of familiar beats. So I was almost more excited to get to the robot stuff than like I thought I was when I got there. Uh, but at the same time, like I thought the movie also you know did some interesting things that made it stand apart, even with it, even if it was telling what felt like a a, a fairly familiar story about kids. Uh, 
clashing with their parents while they're wanting to kind of be more independent. And I'll explain more what I mean by that. But Joe, I want to ask you, uh, was there something about this movie that kind of uh, just made it stand apart for you from maybe other animated movies in a good way? Yes. So I will say all hail Sony, all hail Lord Miller for really pushing animation into a new space. You know, because I think for years we've sort of had other studios attempt to copy what Pixar is doing or kind of try to copy what Disney's doing and some, you know, with varying success. And I think what we've seen, especially with Spider-Verse and now we're getting it with Mitchell's Mitchell's Machines, is you're really kind of pushing what animation can do. You're kind of breaking some real world rules within the movie. Like you're fully taking advantage of the medium. Like, uh, for example, this movie has a lot of articulating of emotions through uh, animation flourishes and different drawings that appear on screen. The emotions are heightened in a way that's, you know, that's fun and creative and not your standard fare that you see in these big budget CG movies. So, well, so, so what do you, what do you, can you give a couple of examples of what you mean by that? Cause I actually had a thought as I was watching it and, uh, you would know better than me cause you're the one that works in animation, but I'd have thought that like, I, I like some other things this movie is doing with its, um, maybe with its storytelling and its message more so than the actual animation itself. The animation, I mean, I, my, my mind immediately went to like, uh, a movie we've talked about on the podcast before in uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, where I, I remember thinking that was like, oh, really visually interesting with how they conceptualized the internet, though I didn't necessarily think anything here, at least to my untrained eye, I felt like it was breaking a ton of like new visual grounds. So what were some like specific moments? When you say how they were conveying emotions, do you mean some of these archival family footage within the movie that we're looking at? Or did you, are you talk, talking about like what you actually saw in these characters' faces? So it's a scene like I'll go ahead and just hit the first scene when uh, when Rick first tells Katie that he's canceled her plane ticket and they're going to crowd cross country. Katie just lets out this very dramatic. No. And we get this wide shot and we get these like very crude, funny drawings of Katie just like erupting from the house and like lightning striking oh. <laughs> or you know, in even smaller moments. You get like when Katie's feeling a genuine moment of love, you get like a little heart that floats up. And then when she's disappointed, the heart breaks and sizzles back down and it's funny, you look at like the the Disney animation canon and like really the renaissance of the 90s, like those movies are all musicals because it's really easy to articulate your character's wants and feelings through song because if he's dead in dialogue, it'd be boring. And I think this is like taking a new step of doing something that really only animation can do of conveying to an audience and, you know, particularly a young audience where a story this mature might, elements of it might go over their head you can convey visually um, through these different emotions being uh, depicted in artsy forms, like, you know, what these characters are wanting and feeling without it becoming a drab. Well, oh, I'm, like, I feel sad about this, and here's why. I'm so. glad you mentioned that. Oh, well, first of all, funny aside, I saw it right after I saw this movie, I went and saw a very different kind of movie. Uh, it wasn't a very good movie, a movie called Mainstream, a movie with Andrew Garfield and uh, Maya Hawk that just came out, and I, I was just kind of excited to see it because I... Uh, it had a really good trailer, and then I, I didn't. I, but it seemed like a small movie that might not be at any theaters around me. And then it was at a theater like twenty five minutes west of me in Wellington that I'd never been to before. And I've been to most of the theaters in Palm Beach County. And I was like, all right, I, I kind of want to be able to say I've been to this theater and support a local th- non big chain theater. And it was I was like the only person there. But it's it's a movie about like that actually is kind of about technology in its own way too. 
and uh, more social media and the influencer space. And a character at one point like uh, just feels kind of sickened by something she took she had taken part in that involved uh, social media and trying to go viral. And then she runs and throws up and throws up a bunch of animated like hearts and stars and stuff oh. like that to like symbolize. Oh, I f- I feel dirty and I'm and it's it's a live action movie, but all of a sudden like instead of vomit coming out of her mouth, like you see a lot of little animated things that symbolize likes on social media coming out of her mouth though uh they kind of did their they kind of did their own thing there uh that was kind of similar to the movie i just seen it was just i just seen the mitchells versus the machine which is a better and much different kind of movie uh but uh, go back to your point about uh it's still also being a movie for kids one of the things that really impressed me because we talked about this when we talked about soul and not to beat on it too much because i think we mean I had nice things to say about it. You liked it a little enough more than I did to put it in your top 10. But like, I was like, this is like an adult movie. Uh, I was like this. I, I, I don't really know how a kid is going to like leave this and like think this is my favorite movie of 2020. I just, you know, it just, it just wasn't going for that. And I thought that like, and I didn't even think it's visual flourishes. Like I, I wasn't that impressed with the great beyond. I liked its depiction of New York city. Like, I don't think a little kid is going to go to an animated movie and be like, wow, they really captured the essence of New York city. Well, <laughs> and, and even if I wasn't like, I, even if I didn't find like some of the visual stuff, some of that stuff, and again, I agree with you. Like that is actually pretty smart stuff that you picked up on there that, uh, that, that is different. But like, you know, even if I wasn't necessarily impressed by like a lot of the bigger, the, 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 the animation itself didn't really seem that groundbreaking with respect to maybe some of the action scenes, even if, like, yeah, there's not a ton of animated movies about killer robots or whatever, but I was like, there, there were other still, like, it was still fun to watch, and there was a lot of exciting action that I think a little kid would be able to appreciate, uh, and then a lot of stuff with that dog, which, I mean, uh, which, I, there, there were funny, really funny jokes for that, but the dog is also just, like, way more fun to look at, I'd say, than the cat was in Seoul. Uh, so it has, I thought it just had plenty of animated flourishes that would uh, certainly be fun for the kids, and hell, I even laughed at that dog, but I, it had other stuff too for the adults, I think. And I think like a parent is going to like, it's going to really resonate with a parent, and maybe more so than like anything I can think of off the top of my head besides like certain moments from Inside Out and Toy Story 3 w- with respect to animated movies with like just getting the beats of a car trip right. And how, and I, I even know this just from being a kid that went on vacations with my family, but like certain long vacations, and I know you come from a pretty big family too, uh, like there's going to be like some really fun stretches and some really not so fun stretches within any single one. And it, I thought it was smart how it didn't just like make Katie be miserable that whole road trip up until like, um, I mean, up until things go south. It's like she's having some nice moments and then they slide back and they have a bad moment and then it's good again. And it like got the rhythms of that right, and also how technology can affect a family. And there's this whole other thing we can talk about a little later about like it just wants it just has an agenda where it's going to take aim at like tech CEOs and stuff like that, which I mean is a weird thing to do in a kids movie. Though it got it was funny for us, and I think there is still other stuff you can enjoy. But more specifically, like how technology itself in a, a way that the adults are going to be able to connect to it is that like recognize as adults we can stay in touch with people that we couldn't have stayed in touch with like you and i couldn't stay in touch because we couldn't have done this podcast 20 years ago and so like because and we're on different coasts right now and stuff like technology allows you to be closer than ever to people further further away from you than ever but it also can make you feel further apart than ever from people that are in the same room as you and that's like a really cool thing that i think the movie really depicts well that i don't think you really have i can't really think of another animated movie or kids movie that accomplished something like that and specifically commenting on technology. Yeah, you know, I mean, it really kind of comments, because, like, you know, you and I, like, we're both, like, late 20s, early 30s range, so it's, like, 
you know, we didn't grow up with the whole screens thing, you know, and then like the last generation that didn't, I think before, like, yeah, before like kids really started getting like cell phones or iPads at younger ages. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just kind of interesting, staggering slash, et cetera, et cetera, to see like, you know, especially me, cause like I'm about to have a child, um, you know, and you know, to see like what navigating that's going to be like, you know, um, and, uh, can you can you hold out till the kids like six before you buy it an iPad? You think how, yeah. how do you think that's gonna go? <laughs> you know, like my my wife and I have conversations about it all the time. We're just like, like so, like how are we gonna like make sure she's not just like you know, as Rick described it, uh, her face bathed in ghoulish blue light. You know, so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's weird and it's scary. And I thought this movie uh, definitely told that kind of story, and it's in a family where. I mean, honestly, like, you know, like if this movie weren't at Netflix, like here's the dynamic that's funny. As I thought about this as I was watching it, like, you know, usually like when I'm watching a movie or something with my wife, she's usually like on her phone, like as we're watching something. Right. And it's like, I was imagining like, all right, like what is the family of four or five or et cetera? They sit down to watch this movie together. How many of the kids or even the parents are like just on their phone, like on their <laughs> movie, you know? And then like, if things were a bit more normal now, this were in the theaters, like how many of them would have been dragged to the theater by one of the parents in like a Rick Mitchell esque quest to like, be like, all right, like put your phones in the basket. Like we're going to watch this movie together. So like, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it really, yeah, well, they hit on something that's pretty. Um, yeah. And, and I, I just, I like that specific strain of the family story. Just, I mean, more than the rest of it, and just because it, it just felt like something more unique that I hadn't seen. Though I do think certain parents, and maybe someone that's older than me that actually has had to say goodbye to a kid to send them off to school, like maybe the rest of it, and just or just having to bicker with the teenage kid, like, uh, you know, like maybe certain parents are gonna like that's gonna hit a little closer to home for them than it would for me, who I'm only someone that's been a teenager who actually I think got along pretty well with my parents for the mo- for more so than your stereotypical t- TV or movie kid that's just not going to maybe connect with me as much because I feel like I've seen that a lot in pop culture before and I haven't gone through that as a parent myself though I will say I'm wondering what you thought about that part of it too because I mean I, I, I don't I, I don't think it's not done poorly I, I I don't think it's done poorly I just think it felt kind of familiar uh but all but also at the same time I I was like I was wondering what side the movie wanted me to come down on because like I don't know you and I actually come at this from kind of different angles I don't exactly know what your relationship was like with your family when you're like going through school what they thought like because, I mean, I'm sure they were kind of like my family in that they're like, well, yeah, go do that screenwriter thing if you, like, think you can do it. But, like, you need to, like, know what else you could probably do. Like, maybe you had conversations like that because my family was pretty supportive. Like, yeah, go do that sports journalism thing. But, like, uh, take the LSAT, too, just to, like, have another option. And I was like – and, and like, I, I mean, I grew up thinking I would never be a lawyer. Like, my family – I come from a family of lawyers. I was like, this seems freaking miserable. I'm not going to do that. And here I, here I am 10 years later, and I'm and I'm doing that, and I realize, like – my dad was probably right, you know. Uh, I not he was supportive, but he's like you need to have a backup option. So I was like, I get it that the movie wants to like have the dad lighten up and like support her a little bit, but like he's not saying anything especially egregious. But I think it's like coming down pretty far on her side, and it kind of wants you to. It's a it's a kids movie. It's going to be sympathetic to the kid. And I was like, I, I this one feels a little familiar too. I don't know if the movie is like giving the dad a fair shake i don't how did, how did you kind of come out on this like that side of the family drama which you know is really the first half hour of this movie and then it's it's present throughout but like that's really the first half hour of this movie before like the robots even show up in their ultimate form yeah it was really painful for me because i could see 
I could fall down on each of their sides. Like mm-hmm. I was a bit conflicted on who I should root for because um, just to date myself real quick, like I got grounded for a month, like my junior year of high school, I think. And my parents took away my flip razor phone. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I had to like, I could log into Facebook, like on one of the computers at school, like during the day. And then like, that was like my social media exposure. And this was back when I'm not going to make you get too personal, but like, I can't even imagine you like doing something bad enough to get grounded for a full month. Like I, I just, I I can't, I I can't even picture what you could have done. I, I never really got, I never got grounded as a kid. My brother did every now and then, uh, like I, I, if you had told me like, is Joe more likely to be like you and never gotten grounded or like been like your brother and gotten grounded, I would have been like, Joe never got grounded. (laughs) I went through a move in the middle of high school. I was very emotional. About <laughs> um, I never experienced the friction quite like Katie and Rick do. Cause like, um, much to my parents dismay, I sort of adopted this thing where like, I would just sort of like leap into like life, major life decisions, usually without consulting the people around me. Oh, so, nice. um, yeah, like it was just sort of like, uh, my parents whole mantra was just sort of like, yeah, like we support you. Um, like go, like, Go get him. <laughs> I already went. Yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite get into like, like, but like, you know, I, I did see it because especially like Katie was going into film and like, that's, you know, obviously like what I do. Uh, I went into film and TV and, um, you know, it's very much like jumping without safety and that sort of thing. So like I could, and like now as I, you know, it's funny, I, I told Josh before we got on the air, I was like, I went through a lot of like, uh, like, especially about to have a daughter and like, you know, being someone who was recently like last 10 years leaving home and everything. I was like falling on both sides of the, the Katie Brick dilemma this entire movie. But okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that's, that's probably a sign that the movie like did a good job of writing these characters. If you could like, you could, you could empathize with both of them. And I was just like, but, I, but for a second I was like, I don't know if the movie like realizes like how reasonable Rick is being. I just had that thought, but it didn't like bother me too much. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying these voice performances and I know there's some robots coming. And again, I, 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 I don't, I never watched a trailer for this movie. I, it had, it did the in media res opening. So I think it was like, you know, which I think sometimes can like be kind of pointless and sometimes movies jump around way too much in time. I saw wrath of man yesterday, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it had some things going for it, but it like jumped around so much with in drop, jumping, dropping you different things in the future. But I, I was actually just kind of glad that the Mitchells versus the machine started like that because I, right as I was like, Oh man, this might be too much of a family drama for me. I remembered, Oh yeah, I'm about to get, get to watch them fight some machines. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, the machines, they are, kind of supposed to be the newest development from this big tech company, PAL Labs, which, you know, I think, you know, it was funny. I think it obviously is kind of an amalgamation of, like, a lot of tech companies today because, like, the one thing I just realized was, like, it was really kind of, uh, I mean, obviously closest analog maybe Apple, though, you know, the thing is, like, I think Apple doesn't have as many, like, you know, well, no, it's funny. It, it really takes aim at everyone, I guess, because I was about to say Apple doesn't have, like, the same – it's it's not on the same level as far as like it's more on ethical issues it's had over the last few years as uh, something like a Facebook or a Twitter I would say though uh, it even goes so far as like get into like uh, how these devices break and there's always a new model coming and which is a fair criticism people level yeah. at Apple is that they're always trying to get you to buy new shit so it doesn't take any prisoners in going after all these things but I mean all the young kids that she's communicating with that she's going to college with they're all excited for the next Pal Labs announcement which I realize is actually like 
exactly what people do with Apple every time there's like a new iPhone coming out. So, I mean, it's like really closely kind of hewing to that. Uh, but then pretty soon after, like they're announcing these robots, and uh, and, and there's a there's a moment where it looks like the uh, the found the founder uh, the founder of the lab, Mark Bowman, like throws his old phone away. Or I think he shows him throwing it shows him throwing it in the trash. Um, and uh, that phone is ultimately what kind of sparks the uprising and uh, turns all of the machines uh, totally against humanity. And all of a sudden, they are the only family that survives. And uh, now they they got to kind of just figure out how they're going to come together as a family in in the face of this. Uh, what did you think? And I guess, I mean, we could talk about just how the family ultimately kind of resolved itself, but like, what do you think about these robots? Because I guess part of me was like, oh man, is this, I, I don't know, for some reason, even though I should have more faith in Lord and Miller, I don't know, when I first saw it, I was like, huh, there's like this kind of stale, you know, not that interesting voiceover going at the beginning, and we see them fighting these robots, and I'm like, uh, maybe this is just going to be like, I don't know, maybe this isn't going to be for me. Something kind of rubbed me weird about that like very opening scene. Uh, and like I said, I'm also a little tired of the immediate rest thing. But then like, I was about ready to get to the robots by the end and excited for it because I was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling this family thing as much. It's kind of feeling kind of familiar. Uh, but then I was like, oh, wow, like these robots are like pretty great, actually, because they, they actually had some personality. What did you think about how the movie did, you know, we, we see all kinds of creatures usually depicted in uh, animated films, but so much so often we're talking about how these things can actually, you know, animation can help you convey even more emotion because you can do more with the faces of whatever the animated character is typically you just you can you can do more than you can with a human face and whether it be a, a an animal character or just a human character there's there's just a, a lot more you can do in that regard and that's why like you know something like a live line live action lion king like you know there's a ceiling on that here it's robots you can only do so much with even the face of like a robot but i mean not to say that like there aren't good robot movies like i think we probably both really like the iron giant but the fact is the robots are gonna be a pretty big part of this movie so how did you think they did it like you know making these robots like something that weren't just like totally one-dimensional characters because i came away pretty impressed by that yeah i think eric and deborah bot 5000 i believe it is are the like low-key mvps of the movie yes voiced by beck bennett and uh fred armison yes they're just like um you see like this very competent like swift uprising right and it's like oh like this is how a machine takeover would go like we're all just like dumb humans and like we're gonna be like like rendered obsolete by our our own technology and then like these two like malfunction because like a dinosaur statue falls on them and then suddenly like they're just you know just so delightfully funny and stupid and then you know like they almost revert like they're broken so they revert back to the commanding ways and stuff (laughs) (laughs) Like, my name's Eric. My name's also Eric. Oh, no, it's Deborah Bot. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, I thought they were fantastic. I, and, like, to have them, like, in bed with the family, too. Like, you know, there was just, like, a certain matter-of-factness and aloofness to them that sort of, uh, like, well-balanced stakes. Like, it was funny. Like, there was, like, a live watch-along on Twitter with Michael Rianda, the director, mm. and Lord Miller. And then there's, like, that really, like, tense scene where the Mitchells are about to storm like the big obelisk in Silicon Valley and then like Eric and Deborah Pop 5000 are just like playing patty cake in the background of the scene <laughs> if you look carefully so um, yeah, I think I missed you know, that I think if I can check that yeah yeah it's it's funny like you know the, the technology critic like the technology um criticism is wrong word. the technology um point of view this movie had um you know like it's pointed at specific but it's also if you didn't have like those that odd couple there 
it may have, it could have easily kind of faded in the background a bit, but having those two like front and center, I thought really just added like this really funny undercurrent to things and sort of just reminded you, you know, that like, like you should fear the robot uprising, but maybe not too much. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. it, the, the, there's a line in this movie uh, where at, you know, Rick finds himself right next to the uh, right next to Bowman uh, when they're both being, kind of being held hostage, and uh, Bowman kind of has to like pour his heart out at some point because he's kind of feeling bad that he is responsible for the robot apocalypse. And he says it's almost as if seizing people's data and giving it to hyper intelligent AI as part of an unregulated tech monopoly is a bad thing. And Rick's just like, "Yeah, that's bad." And you know that obviously is like the most uh, on the nose distillation of how these people feel about tech ceos but at the same time i think it's just like it's i laughed at it more even though it's on the nose i laughed because they put that move that line in a kid's movie in the first place um so like again like yeah like you're saying um who knows maybe if you don't have these like other robots like here to provide really effective comic relief and it might just want it too much and at that point it just does feel like it's uh uh kind of way too adult and dwelling on something too much but instead you have these other robots here that are like uh you know funny enough that the adults are going to laugh at them too but goofy enough that the kids will get get something out of it but i mean i even but i even laughed kind of like i i just went back and i watched part of the last act again and when when the mom finally goes off and snaps and uh gets her mom strength uh the the, the robot she's beating up even have their own personality or like they're a couple of them are like afraid and like begging for their life and stuff like that they're not like totally uh without any kind of like personality and they can like even react to her and stuff like that i just thought there was even like other ways like that where they kind of showed that these uh robots were just not like uh total autonomous automatons yeah and um like and who among us can um, really find the answer to the um, ethical question of what is a pug is it a dog a pig or a loaf of bread you know i mean just (laughs) (laughs) ultimately just the joke that keeps delivering it. That, I mean, that, that was like the perfect answer of like, uh, I mean, that, that was a per- another perfect example of like, they're just being humor for both sides. Like I said, like, yeah. I mean, a, a little kid might find that funny too, but a little kid's just going to laugh at that dog's face every time you put it on screen. Probably. I mean, I say that as someone that also laughed at the dog's face every time it came on screen, but like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I even got more of a kick out of just like having that joke and like having the, having the guts to like make that like the fulcrum on which their entire plan rest. I I respected that as opposed to like, I I did think I will say, I did think that final act, like it went on a little long and there were a couple points where I thought that like, I couldn't remember why she was driving this car through space. I was like, wait, is she trying to get to the top of it so she can just grab that phone? Like, why, why didn't they have some other kind of plan where they could, like, get up to the top and said they had to, like, somehow, like, drive a car? And, like, I, I was like, I, I just, it went on for a while, and I couldn't remember what she was doing. But regardless, I was like, the one thing that was clear was that they were going to have to kill a lot of these robots. And, you know, other, other movies would, like, you know, even animated ones every now and then can maybe come up with, like, almost too convoluted of a plan. Again, I just thought this went ran long. It wasn't convoluted necessarily, but it was like, wow, instead of like actually having like have some big plan that everyone has to follow, we're just going to have this dog kill robots every time you can get it in front of a robot just by how it looks, which I, I was just like, wow, I, I kind of liked that they just like went for it throughout instead of like having that just be a one-off joke, which it would have been great if it was a one-off joke, but it's like, nope, we're going to keep going back to that well over and over and over again and not really do any other way that and have no other way that it's actually that all that possible to kill a robot. And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny that you just, you went for it in that regard. <laughs> all hail Machi, the MVP of the movie. Just brilliant, beautiful soul. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about uh, 
Oscar winner Olivia Coleman uh, playing the villain in an animated movie? So I thought she was great. Um, at first, I thought it was Emma Thompson, <laughs> and sure. I was like, "Oh, cool! Like Emma Thompson's in this." And then I was like, "Wait, no, is it Emma Thompson?" And then like, I like, but you know, the whole performance I thought was, uh, I thought it was great. You know, um, you know, I think she did what she could um, with it. You know, just being on like a little phone screen and stuff, and uh, you know, I mean, yeah. If anyone has seen Fleabag, they would know that uh, she is very, uh, <laughs> she 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 can be funny too. You know, what I mean, I think like. The first time I saw Olivia Coleman was in Broadchurch. I mean, very much not a comedy. Uh, and then the fa- the favorite was hilarious, and it was one of the rare times where like a I mean, it was it was a drama too, but also very much a comedy and more so a comedy. So it was one of the one of the rare times you'll see like a lead actor actor's performance that's just as comedic as it is um, anything else. But I just I. I, I was like, oh wow! I, I, I think it's kind of cool that uh, coming off an Oscar win like that, she's like uh, willing to, uh, you know, really get into uh, just doing such a ridiculous playing an evil cell phone, uh, which I, I just thought was fun. She obviously had a lot of fun with it, and you know, the other thing that she basically has out right now is the father. Uh, which uh, is the one movie that got nominated for an Oscar that Joe hasn't watched because it just sounds too depressing. Uh, so that just shows you the range that she has, that she can be the two things she has in, uh, I was about to say in theaters, this is a Netflix movie, but the two things she has out right now are where she is having to uh, deal with her dad with dementia and then have to take over the world as an evil cell phone. So uh, just very impressed with Olivia Coleman's range. It was just really fun to watch, like, Hey, another another example of just like a super funny visual gag that like you you have to laugh at even if you are an adult is uh this the cell phone just like uh flopping around on the table, but not only flopping around on the table, but instructing her underlings to put her on the table so she could flop around. It's just freaking hilarious. <laughs> That's delightful, and uh, you know, I mean, you got to have like a witty British villain, right? Like that's, I mean, you got to lean into that. Yeah, I, I, so so let me, let me ask you f- f- before I forget. Uh, so like I kind of mentioned how I kind of thought that, that that last sequence kind of went on a little long, but I, uh, but o- overall I still really liked the movie. H- how did you think it kind of wrapped up? Because I think one other thing I'll say is that again, even if I, I I liked some of the family dynamics throughout the movie, I I almost think it kind of like got a little bogged down in having that action scene go on a really long time without ever really like having a great resolution conversation between rick and katie would maybe be my thing i think she's very impressed that he figures out how to uh hack the computer because he mm-hmm. he thought you had to spell out dot to type in a website and then all of a sudden figures out how to how to, how to, how to hack, hack into a bunch of screens so she was she's kind of proud of him for that and then it's like all right dad we're gonna play our song the oldie but goodie uh live your life uh, and, 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 and then they go off and win and then she's in college. I, I maybe I'm, maybe I'm forgetting something, but did you, uh, how did you think the movie kind of balanced having like a, a fun action packed final act, but also kind of getting this family to a nice place at the end? Yeah. You know, at that, that end part, I really, I really think it sort of healed them a bit when she initiated the live your life sequence. You know, it's like you get that, that early memory of them practicing for the talent show. And then he tries to kind of drum it up at the car and uh, she's like, no way, I'm too old to do this now. And then, like, at the end when they get that triumphant, uh, Live Your Life, which, according to the movie, is a very ancient song <laughs> that uh, was popular when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> um, you know, like, the finale is, like, a little busy and stuff, like, I, for sure. And um, and I did love the brief nod to Spider-Verse where she takes a leap of faith, even though she isn't the one leaping. She's being shot by the cell phone, but you still get the cool shots. Like, no studio does 
falling person from a great height than uh, Sony animation, hmm. you know, and then like having Monchi pop on the big screens there. Yeah. Like, and I think this, I think this problem plagues a lot of the Marvel stuff and whatever else. And that's not to say they're not great movies. It's just me as a viewer. I kind of have a hard time, like, especially these huge action set pieces in act three where there's like a thousand different things going on. And I'm just sort of like, okay, like where, where do I look? You know? <laughs> and uh, this one had a bit of that going on, but um you know, I, I liked I liked the way they wrap things up in the end, and then like, two, I I did like they gave us some like resolution in the credits uh, as well. Any any way you can leave me satisfied with where the story went, even if it takes real estate next to the scrolling names, like um, I'm good with that. Yeah, let me ask you about the credits, and I I, I won't go on for it too long because we are two straight white guys. But uh, one thing that was interesting in the credits was it it made it clear that Katie was a queer character. And uh, there's a moment earlier in the movie where she's talking about her other friends. I believe I read in a review that didn't say it specifically, but said there was another background joke that kind of alluded to it in the uh, in the first in the first opening scenes of the movie. I guess I missed that. There was this, the thing where she told her family that she was like really excited to like zoom with their friends, basically, or I, it might not even have been zoom, but whatever. Talk on video online with her friends, including a girl that she had a lot in common with, uh, which I just took in the moment to mean she wanted to make friends because, as far as we could tell, she didn't have any friends aside from her brother that really loved dinosaurs. And, uh, and, and then at the end, like in the credits, the, the, the parents asked her, Hey, are you official with Jade now? Which when I initially reached out to you about it, Joe, I was like, Oh, this kind of rubs me the wrong way because I think maybe they're kind of doing what the beauty and the beast did, uh, four years ago. Like one of the first podcasts I ever did with you, uh, where they tried like Disney tried to get a little credit for having a gay character in at the end because two male characters danced together and they patted themselves on the back for that quite a bit. And everyone's like, yeah, like, 2017 maybe you shouldn't be like congratulating yourself for having a gay character in a movie uh here at first it kind of felt like they were doing the same thing because my thing was like some of these familial beats earlier in the movie maybe felt like a little uh a little familiar and hey maybe a different part of this could have been like hey maybe this dad is i I don't want to put a homophobe in a disney movie that's not the kind of energy you want there but maybe it could be part of why he just has trouble relating to or he has trouble understanding what she's going through in that regard or something like that instead it just doesn't do it and it just alludes to it at the end but i i read another review today by a critic that i like who was like oh no like uh, it actually might be progressive in its own right because, hey, it, it's just treating this as matter-of-factly as it would if it was a straight character, and you, it's not, not feeling the need to, like, make a whole thing of it. Uh, when you hear it explained that way, Joe, are you, are, do you think, like, oh, like, this might be, like, the right way for a kid's movie to address having a, I think, a gay character in it, or do you think there's a little more room to maybe uh, explore that a little more uh, w- without, like, you know, having it take over the movie or... Maybe if not that it's a good reason, but maybe they're afraid they're going to offend a large portion of the audience. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I promise I'm not copying out. I think there's a little bit of both mm-hmm. there to an extent. You know, like I do think we need more stories that sort of center this as a thing. But at the same time, like I definitely agree with that um, review that you mentioned, where treating it as more matter of fact, you know, you know, just makes it uh, helps us, you know, just weave it into like daily life or, you know, people who are wa- coming to this movie or watching this maybe who don't know anybody like that can sort of just like be like, oh, like, OK, like, you know, this isn't something, you know, um, bad for me or whatever else, you know. So, um, yeah, like, again, like I'll say this, too. Um, I think it's just really it needs to be a quantity thing where um, in these movies we are centering these characters enough where it doesn't become like the responsibility of anyone to shoulder um to shoulder that if it becomes if it it becomes a normal thing in the movies then we don't have to dwell on it when it happens in one movie yeah yeah so yeah that's sort of my general uh take on 
Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I still think I might stand by what I said earlier and that like you could have made a couple, they could have made a couple comments about it early in the movies. It could have been a few sentences back and forth here or there. So it didn't then seem like they were, I mean, again, maybe I shouldn't put that on the movie. They might not have been trying to sneak it in though. That's what it felt like in the moment to me. But then I could see, I was like, oh, we don't, we just want to treat this as like, it's normal. And uh, so I, I kind of respect that too, though. I just think like there was an opportunity there to like, kind of address it and uh just make it a part of like the story about why she's clashing with her family or how she might be like ready to get out to a new kind of place and that could give a little more context for why she just wants to go somewhere new so i do think there was a little more potential to do something else with it though after i kind of saw it explain that other review i was like oh yeah i kind of get it then and it's a hard thing it's like you know i'm not even saying they need to have like a a whole one of these places needs to make a whole movie about what it means to be gay. I don't need the I don't need the animated Love Simon or something. You know, is yeah. what I'm saying. There's not that many movies like this that are about. Um, I mean, it's, it's any kind of like Disney princess story aside, where they're looking for uh, their prince or whatever. Uh, there's not like a whole lot of movies that focus even on like heterosexual romance or something. Like it, just animated movies are not typically necessarily romances for the most part, aside from like you know a couple of different type of princess stories, like I'm saying. So it doesn't have to be that, but like it could still like be a factor in a movie in another way where it like probably is good for kids to kind of just kind of like understand that like, Hey, that's a, that's a normal thing. Uh, so that was a thought I had on that where maybe it could have been handled a little bit differently, but I do kind of respect the approach. And I, I it also doesn't seem like they're doing any kind of publicity tour to like congratulate themselves for doing it. Uh, so uh, give, give them a little credit on there as well. Uh, Joe, are there any other, uh, Parts about this movie that you wanted to shout out that we didn't touch on that you thought are worth highlighting. I know there there were a handful of other cameos I think we didn't mention. Some of them are fairly blink and you miss type of things. Did you particularly enjoy any of those, or were there any other scenes that you really enjoyed that you wanted to uh, uh, talk about? Yeah, I have several things. I'll I'll just run through my list here. Yeah. Um, honestly, the Furby thing is brilliant. The the whole Furby sequence is just like beautifully creepy and just hmm. a delightful. Like it comes from a place where you know. Again, like we talk a lot, we talked a lot in this podcast about how you and I um, grew up like without screens, but like Furby was like one of the big things of our childhood. So to see it like um, with the smart chip in it and everything, <laughs> as as scary and creepy as Furbies were back then, like to have them like enhanced to be like a Wi-Fi connected thing was just objectively terrifying. Yeah, and we, and we didn't even talk too much about that mall sequence itself. I did think that was pretty well done. Small note: I uh, shout out to Mark Bowman, the Major League Baseball. Uh, dot com reporter I used to intern with. I just I, I when I found out the tech guy was named Mark Bowman, it was just like what what. <laughs> so um, that it was weird to hear it in, in a different context and uh, than uh, the Mark I know. But I think I think I think uh, Joe's uh, former coworker probably a better guy than the one in this movie though. Let's make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Monchi Monchi Monchi, fantastic. Um, one more thing: the way this movie distills like expositional information is beautiful. Like I talked about, like the animate, like the animation cartoon flourishes before, but like the in-flight video, which is Conan O'Brien's cameo, where he just like goes through like the um, the space flight uh, things as if like you're on a Delta flight or something for all the humans who are about to be launched into space. I thought that was like, like oh, like here's like the evil plan, but we're gonna present it to you like in a very like accessible like 
silly take on like these in-flight uh, videos. <laughs> like I thought that was great too. My recommendation that I'll make at the end of the podcast actually involves a, a different late night host that recently made a, a, a cameo acting appearance. Uh, so uh, <laughs> very, very, very inspired to get Conan involved in anything like that. I appreciated that. Uh, anything else, Joe? Give Sony Animation all the money they need. Like they are doing fantastic work. I mean, Spider Verse and this, and they have a new movie with Lin Manuel Miranda coming out called Vivo that I'm excited about. Like hmm. uh, for me, like they're right up there with like Pixar and Cartoon Saloon as like making the best like in anime feature animation right now. So they're fantastic. Yeah, last shout out. Other, other shout out I want to give is to Danny McBride. Who I mean, he's a guy like I really enjoy, but like for doing things that are very different than what he does in this movie, like you know, he, I, I I feel like I knew that he had like other kinds of, in theory, had other range, uh, had some range as an actor, uh, even even from something as small as Up in the Air, where he you know he plays the 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 groom that uh, George Clooney's uh, future brother-in-law that like gets cold feet at a wedding, but like most of his other stuff, he's playing like different versions of Kenny Powers uh, to and uh, to different volume levels or whatever and I freaking love Kenny Powers I I really enjoyed the Righteous Gemstones which had its uh, second season kind of delayed a little bit cuz of covid on HBO but he's always seems like he's just playing like a some kind of version of a fairly brash character and it, it was kind of cool to see him like you know uh, just voice a regular dad that was going through a lot and clearly having a a tough time and uh, showing a lot of pathos and I and I, I, I just really, I really appreciated that. And you know, I, I feel like, uh, I think we know Maya Rudolph can do like just about anything. Like she's done comedy, she's done drama, she plays like a totally ridiculous character on Big Mouth, a couple of ridiculous characters on yeah. Big Mouth. So that she could like play a more toned down, do do more toned down animated role, like is not that surprising to me. But like, it was really cool to see, uh, to see Danny McBride pull that off. And props to them for like, you know, deciding, hey, we'll see if he can do this as opposed to just you know, I don't know, casting Fred Armisen or something, you know, and I, uh, cause I, I just like Danny McBride more than Fred Armisen too. And Fred Armisen did well in the role he was given here. Uh, though I could have seen them just being like, Oh yeah, let's put Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen together. Cause they do a lot of other stuff together. And like, so kind of cool that they did something outside the box and, you know, went with Danny McBride. So I appreciated that. Um, mm. anything else you want to plug that you've been watching or, uh, something about the Braves beat the Phillies, Tim Tebow's a Jaguar. Uh, what, what do you feel? Like? Any, anything else you want to plug, uh, TV wise or sports wise or social media wise? Yeah. Uh, something to watch, uh, the mighty ducks game changers series on Disney plus is fantastic. It's just, you know, a bunch of really funny kids and Emilio Estevez looking more and more like his father, Martin Sheen as the years pass. So I guess um, I so tweet that the other day and I, I was like, wait, he does. But I'm like, then I realized like, when's the last time we've actually seen Emilio Estevez act in anything like he just hasn't in a while. Yeah. It's a delightful show. I encourage you to check it out if you were a fan of the original movies. And then, um, like, okay. The day that we're recording this, um, news broke that the Jacksonville Jaguars are signing Tim Tebow to play tight end. And I'm just going to need everyone to like calm down. Okay. Like, thank you. There's been too much, like, people are acting as if he's made the final roster. He is being invited to a camp <laughs> as a personal favor given to him by his former head coach. And, like, look, if he stinks, he's not going to make the team. And guess what? If he makes the team, either Urban did him a favor, and that's Urban staking his entire NFL career on one guy, or Tebow is a good tight end, or the Jaguars tight ends are just bad, which they have been bad since Mercedes Lewis left for green Bay, like four years ago. So like everyone just needs to relax. 
Okay. I forgot. Joe, Joe, Joe. By the time you hear this, you have relaxed about Tim Tebow being invited to Jacksonville Jaguars offseason camp. Joe, before you went to University of Florida as a student, I forgot. Did you, for any reason, were you raised a Gator fan? I grew up a Gator fan. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. Did you, if you had like family that went there or whatever? Because I know you like. Uh, I guess you're from South Georgia, which is technically closer to Gainesville than it is to like UGA. But I, right. uh, I, I was also raised a Gator fan, and so I, I was like cheering for them when cheering for Tebow when he won the championship in 08. I was a freshman and not yet working for the Alligator when he in Tebow's senior year. So which I mean was not as successful of a season thanks to Steve Adazio as it looked like it was on paper. But the yeah. fact is like I I was I, I was there for that. So I, I have all I but I would say like my the way I cheer for the Gators did change a bit after I worked for the Alligator because when you work for the Alligator, uh, like Joe and I did when you were in college, which is the school newspaper at University of Florida for those that don't know, when you cover sports for them, like you got to give up being a Gator fan, uh, which I think is a totally fair trade. Not even necessarily because you can't be a fan of a team and um, and, and cover the team. I think like a lot of journalists prove otherwise that work for team sites and stuff that do a very good job. But the fa- I think it's a bigger I think the bigger reason it's a good thing that the Alligator made us do that was because like if if you, if, if you don't want it bad enough to do that, like, do you really want it bad enough to, like, do a good job at this job? You know, like, if they, if you can't make that small sacrifice to not wear gator clothes around, like, do you really care enough to, like, want to actually do this is my thing. But the fact is, doing that and divorcing yourself from being a fan, like, I think it makes me less of a fan. Like, I can still kind of cheer for the gators now, but, like, I don't get as upset when they screw up and stuff. But the th- thing is, my point being that, like, my fandom in the last 10 years since I started working with the Alligator is different than, I would say, uh... Is different than it is. It's just it's just different. But like I, I would think maybe I would have more of a connection to someone like Tim Tebow because that predated me working for the Alligator, where it's like my my fandom just isn't quite as strong. But like I see other people that like just go wild. It's like when that Tebow announcement came out today. It's like like Joe said, one, there's a lot of other steps to go, and two, it's like you know, like I don't, I, I just, I don't know. I just did not have that same reaction. I think a lot of people were just like, I, I just love Tim Tebow so much. I'm like. I guess, but it's like we're so far removed from him doing anything all that good for anyone I care about that it's like I just I don't know it's just hard I, I to really care that to care that much as it and I it caught me off guard how much a lot of people seem to was what I, I get my point was I mean fine be happy but like you know temper your expectations I guess yeah he's just a lightning rod so I, I knew people were gonna kind of go nuts if it happened but yeah even still it's just like guys he's one of ninety. Only half of those people are going to make it to the season. So just calm down for now. Like, revisit yeah. it in August. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, then it'll, it'll be kind of weird if he ends up being really good also yeah. because it's like, what did, what the fuck did he do with the last 10 years of your life then? If you could have been, like, let's say, let's say you're good, but he's good enough to, like, be good when he's, like, in his age 34 season, but then his body's just not good when it's 35 because, like, you'd be 35. Yeah. Then it would, it would almost be bittersweet. It's like, man, like, like you were so hell-bent on doing the quarterback thing. Like, you could have been, like, a, who knows? Maybe you could have been a Pro Bowl tight end if you just done it. Instead, like you like screwed around and like half-heartedly tried to play minor league baseball, but like not so much that you wouldn't like bail on the bail to go like do SEC college game day or whatever. Like you know, it's, it's such a weird last like six years of his existence. Uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, as far as anything, I will recommend or talk about since Joe took us to the sports corner. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll give my own streaming recommendation. Uh, myself, I've watched all but the last episode of the new Peacock series, Girls Five Eva, which oh. is uh, it's it's kind of like Tina Fey's production team, but uh, some someone else. And now I feel bad. I'm drawing a blank on her name as the actual creator. I'll remember that in a second. Uh, but th- you know, it's it, it kind it, it's a story of like a. Um, 
you know, a, a girls, a girls group that was singing group that was big in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And then they end up going their own separate ways. And after 20 years, they decide they're going to make a comeback. Uh, Meredith Scardino is the name of the person that created the show. And it stars Sarah Bareilles, uh, Busy Phillips, Paula Pell, and Renee Lee Scholesbury from Hamilton are the four members of the group of five that are reunite. And it's just like, it was just a delightful comedy. Like, I guess I hadn't really watched anything that was like, I started at Friday night. It was even before I'd watch Mitch, the Mitchells versus the machine, but I just, I, I, I just come out, come out from like doing like Mortal Kombat where I like I watched the, that movie which is like pretty serious and like kind of fun but like maybe not that fun to talk about and then I watched uh, Concrete Cowboy on Netflix which is just like okay and then I was I was watching um, Made for Love on HBO Max at the same time too which uh, had a couple of funny parts but it was ultimately actually like kind of dark so it was just like a breath of fresh air to watch Girls 5 Eva it was like a lot of fun and some of the songs are super catchy and I highly recommend it if you have Peacock or have a way of getting Peacock. If you have Comcast, you can get Peacock. Uh, but uh, for, their, for their original sh- – you can even watch some of their movies without being a paid member. But, uh, you know, it's I, I, it would be worth the price of it. I was going to buy it anyway uh, just for this show. So uh, highly recommend that. Uh, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. On Twitter and Letterboxd, podcast Twitter is at the Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Send us any feedbacks or suggestions that way. Joe's on Twitter at Joe underscore Morgan. Joe, thanks for joining us. I appreciate the time as always. Thanks to everyone else for listening, and we'll see you next time.